If you've got a Bible with you, uh, whether that's uh, digital or hard copy, go ahead and open it up. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. While you get yourself uh, situated there, I just want to give, uh, it's a reminder, but also kind of an announcement. The rain has stopped, which means, thankfully, it has stopped, which means we're going to have our picnic as scheduled today, 1 o'clock, Bennett Park. Encourage you to come. Bring your own food. They'll be like, we've got some candy, but you're not going to be able to make a meal out of that. So uh, we encourage you to come join us 1 o'clock at Bennett Park. Just an opportunity for us to be together uh, as a church family. There's no like agenda there. We're just looking for a chance for people to hang out. So encourage you to take uh, part in that. Come and join us. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to spend a second week in verses 1 through 4, but before... Uh, we dive into that. Let's pray, and then we'll start. God, thank you for this morning, for the chance to come into worship together. Uh, Lord, to celebrate baptisms as a church, and just to get to uh, rejoice alongside brothers and sisters who are making that declaration of faith this morning. God, thank you for your word, and the chance to worship you through studying your word. God, thank you for uh, creating this place, Lord, and a, a church family to worship you in fellowship alongside. God, I pray that as we go about the rest of our morning together, Lord, that you would be the center and the focus of all that we do. Lord, would you push distractions aside? Would your Holy Spirit take your words and impress them uh, upon our hearts? Lord, would you encourage us, challenge us, teach us, God, uh, convict us from your word? Lord, and would that not stop here in this room this morning, God, but would that be something that carries with us? Has, would your word, your Holy Spirit, have tangible impact in our lives uh, going forward this afternoon and into the week and for weeks and years ahead, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read um, all of Hebrews 2, 1 to 4. Uh, we spent... Last week in this same passage, and we're, we're going to turn around and spend a second week here, but just on a specific portion of it and for a specific reason. So let's read it, and then I'll kind of explain what the, the plan and the purpose is here this morning. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. For the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. We're spending a second week here because last week we looked at that paragraph as a whole. How does it fit within sort of the larger context of Hebrews? What is the overall point? And this is... This is where we were last week. Chapter 1 is all about the reality that Christ is supreme. That's going to be a recurring theme throughout the book of Hebrews. Chapter 2 then turns to more of the application of some of what do we do with the fact that Christ is supreme. Namely, verse two, or verse 1 of chapter 2, therefore, pay attention. Pay attention to the reality that Jesus Christ is supreme. Don't neglect this great salvation that he has made available for us, because if you do, there's judgment. That's the whole of Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. 
Today we're going to look at the second half of verse 3 and then verse 4. There's a new sentence that starts in the middle of verse 3. This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him at the same time. God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. That message that Christ is supreme and we need to pay attention and not neglect that salvation because there is judgment, that is the most important message to any human being that's ever lived. That we cannot neglect the truth of the gospel because if we do, there is just eternal and real consequence for neglecting that salvation. For those among us who have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, there's nothing more important that I or anyone else in this body of believers could do for you than to convey the truth of that message. And so last week, we focused on that specific aspect of this first paragraph of Hebrews chapter 2. Inside of that paragraph, though, there's something that's equally as important for believers to focus on. And so that's why I wanted to do two weeks here. One week to focus exclusively on the big point there, and then one week to offer an encouragement to those uh, that gather with us on Sunday mornings who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk specifically about the topic of spiritual gifts this morning. The question is, how does this statement at the end of chapter 4 regarding spiritual gifts fit into the overall flow of Hebrews here and what bearing does it have on us today? And so similar to last week, last week the most important thing we could do with that warning in the first paragraph of chapter 2 was just have kind of a pastoral discussion about the necessity of placing your faith in Jesus Christ. This morning I want to walk through the the verses here. We're going to define some terms that are important in here and make sure we understand what this sentence and a half or two sentences saying, and then do the same thing. Let's talk pastorally about what is it that we do with what we're reading here. How does it fit in and what does it mean for us? And so let me just start by defining some terms. Verse four, at the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles, distributions of gifts. If you're reading along in Hebrews, and you come across that, one of the questions, if you're reading thoughtfully, should be, is that just three ways to say the same thing, or is the author talking about three different things? Signs and wonders, various miracles, distributions of gifts. The author's talking about three separate things, and so I want to define them for us. Signs and wonders, grouped together there, one phrase, that came to be understood within Israel's history as a reference to a specific event. That specific event is the miraculous work that God did at the Exodus, where he displayed his overriding power over the forces of nature. I will make the Nile run red. I will cause frogs to come out of your beds and out of your ovens. There will be a plague of locusts that's going to strip everything off of your crops. And I'm the creator of the universe, and I can override how nature should normally work. In later Old Testament times, that same phrase, signs and wonders, gets applied to the kinds of acts where God causes the sun to stay in the sky for longer than normal, where God would cause rain to not fall on Israel for certain reasons. He's overriding nature. When we think about Jesus, 
the kinds of acts that Jesus did that would demonstrate those types of signs and wonders are Jesus walking on water, Jesus calming a storm, turning water into wine. God's overriding power over the normal course of nature. That's what signs and wonders means. What does the author of Hebrews have to say about those here? That you better pay attention to the supremacy of Christ and to the glory of who God is because he's displayed his own supremacy by altering the course of nature. See that. You read the Gospels, you see that happening in Jesus. You should pay attention to who this man is because that kind of power ought to get our attention. And then there's the second phrase, various miracles. So what what does that mean? Well, it's a more general term. It's a broader term that literally means God's diverse power to intervene in everyday life. That God could intervene in our normal everyday circumstances and do something so powerful that it demonstrates who he is. Think of Jesus healing diseases, casting out demons, multiplying five loaves of bread and a couple of fish and feeding thousands of people. Again, what's the point that the author of Hebrews is trying to make? That the supremacy and glory of Jesus is visible in those acts, so much so that it should make it hard to ignore or neglect or not pay attention to the reality of who he is. And then there's the last phrase, distributions of gifts. Literally, if you read that kind of in a transliterated way, it would say, and apportionments from the Holy Spirit. We don't use the word apportionments anymore, so English Bibles translate that to distributions and add in the word gifts in order to show us what is being apportioned to people. What's being distributed? Well, there are this giving out of gifts whereby God demonstrates his power. Spiritual gifts, that's what's being talked about here. They're talked about throughout the New Testament. And depending on the list or the scholar that you read, um, somewhere in the range of 25 different spiritual gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit, into the lives of believers. We see some of those gifts as kind of everyday expressions within the interactions that people within a church have. Gifts like hospitality, service, giving, mercy, intercession, encouragement, administration, Some of those gifts are gifts of the spoken word, more or less. Gifts like teaching, evangelism, knowledge, wisdom, prophecy. Some of those gifts are gifts that we typically would associate with a person who does full-time ministry. Gifts like pastoring, leadership, missionary, artistic expression like Brian or like Joel and the, the band this morning. Some of those gifts are more miraculous. Gifts like Healing, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, discernment, miracles, faith. Some of those gifts cause us to scratch our head and think, wow, does the Holy Spirit really empower that? Gifts like voluntary poverty or like the gift of celibacy. This passage, yet again, what the author is trying to say is that to some degree, those spiritual gifts, ought to make it so that people cannot neglect the power of the gospel, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That the outworking of those gifts within the lives of believers should make it so that it's impossible to ignore the power of the gospel. 
spiritual gifts are part of what make are part of what is used to make it obvious that the world should pay attention to Jesus and this great salvation. And just so we're thorough on this this morning, that is one purpose of spiritual gifts. In other places, Scripture also makes it clear that spiritual gifts are to be used in serving, unifying, and edifying the church, building up the body of Christ. So if we were to offer a definition of spiritual gifts, I know that's long, so I'll read it twice and give you note-takers time to write it down. Spiritual gifts are freely given gifts present within the lives of all followers of Jesus, empowered and controlled by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of testifying to the power of the gospel and edifying the church. Freely given gifts, present within the lives of all followers of Jesus, empowered and controlled by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of testifying to the power of the gospel and edifying the church. In first service, uh, we baptized three individuals. Tessa Perdue and Elsie Heiser are both very young uh, elementary school girls. Then we also baptized a woman, Joanne Glass, who uh, is on the other end of the age spectrum. What is remarkable about spiritual gifts is that present in the lives of a first grader and uh, a second grader, and also present in the life of someone who is further along in their life journey, are these gifts given by the Holy Spirit to every single believer. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for four or five days, or you've been walking with Jesus for four or five decades, you have placed within you empowered and controlled by the Holy Spirit, these gifts that ought to be used by any given individual so that the power of the gospel and the supremacy of Christ is made obvious and the church is built up, edified, and encouraged. Now, there are seasons in our lives where we're more immature in our faith and also probably, therefore, immature in our gifts. Like, we're not 100% sure exactly what, what I'm supposed to do with this thing and where do I use it and how does it work itself out. And then there are other times in our lives where maybe we've been exercising this gift of hospitality for 40 years. And so we're more mature in that. There can be times where it seems like a spiritual gift is, for lack of a better phrase, flowing more freely in an individual than it is at other times. So it's not just that you receive those gifts when you place your faith in Jesus Christ and then they look the exact same throughout the entire course of your life. That's not always the case. We grow in our maturity with our gifts. We grow in our understanding of our gifts. At times, it's like the Holy Spirit moves particularly powerfully and they manifest themselves differently. But what's the key? Here in Hebrews chapter 2, the key is that God spoke long ago, Hebrews 1.1, different times, in different ways, that Jesus is the culmination of that speaking. He is the uniquely revealed human expression of the exact divine nature and radiance of God, and he proclaims God's character and his glory, that the apostles confirmed that, and that all of that is complemented by significant demonstrations of power, whether signs and wonders or various miracles, or gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are two key phrases that surround that in verse 4. The first one is, at the same time. So, at the same time, God also testified by. You're reading along in Hebrews, that should make you stop and say, at the same time as what? At the same time as when? What what is that talking about? Well, jump back in verse 3. 
This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, that's Jesus, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Those are the apostles at the same time. So in the immediate context, that means at the same time that Jesus was proclaiming salvation, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And at the same time that the apostles were confirming those gifts by bearing witness to Jesus or confirming who Jesus was by bearing witness to him, God was doing these powerful things, which leads to an immediate question. Does that still happen? If it happened at the same time as those two things, is that still happening today? Hold that question in your head because we're going to come back to it in a minute. The second phrase is then at the end of the verse. Distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. Jesus didn't perform every miracle possible while he was on earth. There were, let's say, sick people, hungry people, in the area where he was ministering who either didn't come to him because they didn't know he had the power to do that or uh, whatever the case might be. And so Jesus didn't just show up at their door and heal them. He didn't do every miraculous thing. He didn't walk on every body of water that was available. He didn't turn everybody's water into wine. But according to his will, to serve his purposes of making his power known, at certain times he would manifest himself in that way. God doesn't break into human life with signs and wonders like those of the Exodus all the time. Not every person has every spiritual gift. God chooses when, where, and how to use all these sorts of demonstrations of power in order to display his glory and provide further authentication for the gospel. It's according to his will. When he wants to move in that way, he does. Where he wants to move in that way, he does. And so to take this entire chunk here and to summarize it from last week and this week. What is Hebrews 2, 1 to 4 trying to say? This is a long summary statement, but I think it's necessary that God in his wisdom and sovereignty has consistently revealed himself to humanity throughout history, through his spoken word, through the unique revelation of his son, Jesus Christ, through the testimony of those who witnessed the life of Jesus Christ, and according to his will, through the complement of various demonstrations of his power in the world and through his people, such that humanity is without excuse for neglecting the superiority of Christ and stands in judgment if they do. What is all of that for? So the world would know the glory of God, the supremacy of Jesus, and the greatness of salvation in him. The author of Hebrews is saying there's overwhelming, undeniable evidence all around us for who Jesus is. Don't neglect it. Don't drift away from it. Pay attention. God has gone to great and consistent lengths to demonstrate this for all of humanity. But we should probably have some questions about verse 4. One I've already mentioned. Do these things still happen? Do those gifts of the Holy Spirit, did they only happen at the same time or do they still happen today? Do they persist? And if they do, what is their purpose? And if they do persist and they have a specific purpose, how should they play themselves out in practice? How do they express themselves? And then what in the world does all that mean for me? I want to spend the rest of our time answering those questions. You may or may not be aware that there is a significant and fairly divisive debate among evangelical Christians about those questions, about spiritual gifts. 
That debate has gone on for years. It exists not only kind of in the world in general, but right here in our own city and in our own town. And I want to be clear up front. Those questions about spiritual gifts are a secondary or a, a tertiary issue within the church. And that means that above all else, what should dominate the conversation is a spirit of grace, overriding sense of unity. This is one of those issues where Romans 14 says that we are to bear with one another patiently and graciously. There are faithful, God-loving, saved followers of Jesus throughout history who have fallen at various places along this spectrum associated with the debate on spiritual gifts. It's important that we enter into the conversation with that frame of reference. Question number one. Do these gifts persist? That's the primary question that circulates as it relates to spiritual gifts, whether or not they're still operative today, particularly the more miraculous gifts. Tongues, prophecy, miracles, healing. Do those things still happen today? Does the Holy Spirit still empower believers in that sort of way? And there's a, there's a spectrum here. And so it's not just like there are two camps and you place yourself in either camp. That would be way too easy. You, you kind of have a side and then you fall somewhere along there. On the far end on one side are individuals who are generally termed cessationist. They would say that the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased to be present within the life of the church. They no longer exist. Now that's a spectrum because there are various streams within that camp. Some people would say that different gifts no longer exist. Some would say they ceased at one particular time versus another. Some would say they ceased for this reason and others for another reason. But in general, cessationists would say that there are some or all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are no longer functional and present within the life of the church. And it's not just that they would make that up. They would support that with Certain biblical texts read certain ways. On the other end of that debate are individuals who are called continuationists. That would say all the gifts of the Spirit are still present and operating within the life of the church. Some of you do not care about either one of those terms, and that's totally fine. I give you both of those because I think it's important to say this. At LCF, we are continuationists. We always have been. We still are today. We believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are mentioned in Scripture are active within the lives of believers and within the church. That's always been LCF's position. If you take our class about spiritual gifts, which is called Discover Your Ministry, we teach through and affirm each of the gifts, 25 of them, as listed from Scripture. Which then creates another question. Okay, so... If some of the gifts exist, but some don't, or all of the gifts still exist, what is their purpose? What are they for? And there's universal agreement on this. There's no debate about this, that the spiritual gifts are given for the demonstration of the glory of God and the power of the gospel, and, number two, the growth and edification of the church. Let me give another impact of that. One of the beauties of spiritual gifts is that they teach people within the church to be interdependent with one another. The primary metaphor or uh, illustration that's used about spiritual gifts in Scripture is that of the body, that your body has eyes and legs and 
arms and hands and feet and all these various parts, but each part needs another part. That's the picture of spiritual gifts within the church, that in order to see the full range of God's incredible working, we need one another. And so spiritual gifts function as this incredible means by which God builds unity within his church. And so the irony of all of this is that because of human flesh and human sinfulness, a gift of God, a gift of God's grace, spiritual gifts that were meant to unify us have become something that have separated us. Think about how that must grieve the Holy Spirit. God said, I'm giving you these wonderful gifts so that you as a body of believers globally, the church worldwide, might be knit together, interdependent upon one another so that you can demonstrate the power of the gospel and the supremacy of Jesus Christ and build one another up to maturity. And yet, here you are squabbling over whether or not they exist and how you should use them. And so you get all split apart and it becomes divisive. That's incredibly unfortunate. How should these gifts be put into practice? Well, among continuationists, again, there's a division on how those gifts should play themselves out within the life of a local church. Should there be space for all of those gifts to express themselves in your regular gatherings on Sundays? How charismatic, quote-unquote, should your Sunday services feel? How exactly should you put into practice the encouragements and the commands and the guardrails that Paul gives in the book of 1 Corinthians about creating order within your services so that people aren't confused? I can't answer all those questions this morning. In fact, different churches provide different answers to those. And so I'll just tell you what we do here at LCF. The first challenge in any church is identifying who has what gift. On any given Sunday here at LCF, there are somewhere between like 1,000 and 1,250 people or so that come through the doors. How do we identify who has what gift? That's a challenge because if we're supposed to equip people to serve with those gifts so that the gospel might be displayed and the body might be built up, task number one is figuring out who has what gifts and how can we plug them into service. And so in order to do that, once a year, we offer this class called the Spiritual Gifts Workshop, Discover Your Ministry Workshop. The intent is, first of all, that you might know what your spiritual gifts are and how you can serve not just this local body, but a future church that you might be a part of if you were to move, or how you might serve, display the power of the gospel in the community around us, but also it's for us to know who has what gifts. So when volunteer roles pop up, we can send an email out to people and say, hey, we think this would be a fantastic way for you to engage within the life of our church and serve other individuals because we know you have that gift. The second challenge is figuring out how to equip those within your body to put those gifts into practice. In general, at LCF, our services fall somewhere into the middle of the how charismatic are you on Sunday mornings conversation. We're not the most charismatic church you could walk into. We're not the least charismatic church that you could walk into. Some of that is because like 15 years ago, um, the staff and leadership team that was present at the time made a decision that in order to not promote confusion on Sunday mornings, like 1 Corinthians talks about, that some of the more, let's just say, miraculous gifts, we would kind of hem in how those are present on Sunday mornings. That doesn't mean that we decided they don't exist. 
It just means that we said there are other places within the life of our church where we think those types of things should play out, whether it be healing or speaking a prophecy to someone or speaking out loud in tongues if there was an interpretation available. And so we say that those are best done in smaller group settings where there can be discussion and interaction and relationship that surrounds those for the sake of everyone's clarity about what's happening. That was a decision we made some time ago. I will offer this. If you went to eight different churches just in Liberty over the next two months, a different church every Sunday, you would see eight different ways for that to play itself out within the life of a congregation. And that is okay. If you're visiting with us and you're from another church, you're probably looking around and saying, this is less charismatic than what I'm used to. This is more outwardly expressive and charismatic than what I'm used to. And that is okay. Do I think we at LCF are getting it right every single time in terms of how it is that we encourage the use of spiritual gifts within the life of our church? No. It would be wildly arrogant to assume that. Do I think that some other church is getting it right every single time in the way that they encourage and foster the use of spiritual gifts within their church? No, I don't. We're all trying to take what Scripture has given us and put it into practice the best way we can for the demonstration of the supremacy of Jesus Christ and for the edification of the body. Again, what's most important here is that these gifts are meant to promote unity. So another church does it differently. That's okay. So maybe you wish it were done a little bit differently here. That's okay. Maybe you want to have a conversation with someone on our staff or within our leadership team about why it is the way that we do things the way that we do. That's okay. We would love to do that. Unfortunately, what often happens, particularly within suburban American Christianity, where we just kind of want to, like Burger King, have it our way, is that if the church that we're a part of doesn't do things exactly the way that we want them to be done every single time it's done, we'll just go find another place for a little while until they too disappoint us, and then we'll go find another place. When you commit to a church, you don't commit to a style of something. You commit to a body of people. More importantly, you commit to partnering with that group of people to use the gifts that God has given you for the proclamation of the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the building up of the congregation. So you've got some of the more miraculous or charismatic gifts, and you look around LCF and you say, I wish these were more visible. And then you pack up and you take your gift somewhere else. What did you just cause to leave that body of believers? that gift that you were hoping would express itself within the life of the church that you were in. That's why it's okay. These gifts are meant to create unity among us, to encourage us and build the body up, to proclaim the power of the gospel. What do we do with that as individuals? What's the personal application here? I want to offer you four things. Number one, know your gifts. Sitting here this morning, you say to yourself, I have no idea what he's talking about. I've tried to not fall asleep five times over the last 35 minutes. Because it's like he's speaking a foreign language up there. But I know for a fact that I'm saved. That means you should also know for a fact that there are gifts within you. Know what they are. Figure those out. Take our Discover Your Ministry workshop. There are other places where you can learn what your gifts are. And then number two, express them. Put them into practice. My gifts are different than your gifts. Your gifts are different than the gifts of the person sitting next to you. 
Some people's gifts are obvious. I, I have a teaching gift. I also have the opportunity to express that gift on any given Sunday. There's a man who's been a part of our church for years. His name is Petey Coe. You may or may not know Petey. In fact, if you don't know him, that's probably the way he would prefer it. He's got an unbelievable gift of service. He's the first one here on Sunday mornings. He beats me here every week. He's the last one that leaves here every Sunday. This morning, we had a little snafu with the baptismal, and I came scurrying over, and I was just going to like, I had never operated that thing. I was going to make it happen, though. And Pete, I walk in, and Pete's like, why didn't you just tell me I would have done it? He's got this incredible gift of service that he expresses lovingly, sacrificially, humbly. Know your gifts. Express your gifts. And then alongside those two, allow the Holy Spirit to testify to the glory of God and the power of the gospel through his work in you. That's what those gifts are for. Those gifts ought to offer a world the picture of the power and the supremacy of Jesus Christ, which means this. You think of your own testimony and you say to yourself, before I knew Jesus, I was incredibly selfish, self-centered, thought the world revolved around me. Then I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And now I can't really explain it, but there is this welling up inside of me, this overwhelming desire to now serve people. That's an unbelievable demonstration of the power of the gospel. That the Holy Spirit would come into your life and take a once very selfish person and turn you into a very servant-hearted person is an amazing picture of the power of Jesus Christ. Put it to work. Use it. Maybe you think to yourself, before I knew Jesus, I was unbelievably harsh with my words. I critiqued people. I was cutting. But now I have this desire to encourage people and to build them up. That is a spiritual gift, empowered and controlled by the Holy Spirit for the sake of displaying the power of the gospel and encouraging other people. Put it into practice. We often think that the only gifts that matter are the ones that are just visible up front. That the gift that matters is the person that teaches. The gift that matters is the worship team and their artistic ability. The gift that matters is the person that can heal someone. No, the gift that matters is the one that God, according to his will, put inside of you. Work that gift. Humbly. Sacrificially. Put it into practice. You've got the gift of hospitality? Open up your home. Welcome people in. Believers non-believers. Show them the power of the gospel. You've got the gift of intercession. Battle in prayer for people around you. You used to be miserly and kind of hoard all of your money because your bank account was the thing that defined you. Now you've met Jesus and you've been saved by his grace and there's this desire to be generous. Then give. Allow the Holy Spirit to testify to the glory of God and the power of the gospel through his work in you. And then last, allow the Holy Spirit to edify the church through his work in you. Here's what's beautiful about these spiritual gifts. The only person who's ever had them all and expressed them perfectly is Jesus. So if you have the gift of leadership and you put that into practice within the life of our church, it ought to remind people that Jesus was the perfect expression of that. I see P.D. Coe serving on Sunday. I think to myself, not, wow, P.D. Coe is amazing. He is. He's a wonderful human being. But I think to myself, 
If Petey Coe serves that graciously and humbly, imagine what it would have been like to interact with Jesus. If so-and-so has the gift of mercy and they extend that to you and it's powerful to you, think about the mercy of Jesus. Somebody has the gift of encouragement and they encourage you with their words. It ought to cause you to think about the work of Jesus. That is what builds up the body. Humble, submissive, worshipful, sacrificial acts of allowing the Holy Spirit to work through our gifts. That pays huge dividends. Testifying to the glory of God, the supremacy of Jesus, the power of the gospel, building up the church. To finish in Hebrews. This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles, and distributions of gifts according to his will. Why? So that people would know about the supremacy of Jesus. So that the church would be built up, edified, encouraged. Imagine what it would be like if every local church expression that existed on the planet had all of its people not just spectating and consuming church, but instead putting those kinds of powerful manifestations of the gospel into practice, we would be able to say genuinely to the world, how could you neglect so great a salvation? Pay attention to the power of the gospel. See what it is that Jesus does in the life of a person because He is supreme. Amen? Amen. We're going to close our service by just worshiping the Supreme One, worshiping the One who has done all of these powerful things in order to make Himself known to the world. Let me pray and we'll sing. God, thank You for this morning. Lord, for the chance to come and worship. God, thank You for the reality of Jesus Christ, the fact that He is the only sufficient Savior. Thank You for the reality that when we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, these gifts are placed within us so that the world might know and not be able to neglect and to pay attention to the truth of the gospel. God, thank you that those gifts serve and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ and build us up and help us push toward maturity in our faith in Jesus. God, I pray that we would be a church, each and every one of us, not just a corporate body, but we would be a church of individuals who allow the power of the gospel to be visibly displayed as we make our gifts known and used within the life of this body, but also out in the world for those who desperately need to see the power of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up and sing.